Welcome back to episode number 256 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. This is a podcast for building a global community around process safety and entries handling combustible dust. I'm your show host, Dr. Chris Cloney. Today's episode, we have back on the podcast, Matt Williamson, Director of Engineering at ADF Engineering, based outside of Dayton, Ohio. And we are talking about grain milling, sifting, and sorting. In particular, this is part two of a part two-part interview talking about these type of hazards. So in part one, we talked about the different hazards associated with grain milling, sifting, and sorting. Turns out there's a lot of them, which we, we covered a lot in last week's podcast episode. This, we're gonna, this week, we're going to break down, okay, well, how would you even start the process? What kind of considerations should you be looking at for forming a hazard assessment or dust hazard analysis in this type of operation? And we're doing that with Matt again. Matt, thank you for coming back on the podcast today. Thank you, Chris. Good to be back. Super excited to do this second part interview with Matt. We did have Matt on the podcast way back in episode 138 and 143, talking about grain elevators and concrete silos, uh, hazard control for groups of concrete silos. I would point to folks um, that listened to last week's episode. We did discuss and, and might even discuss a bit today about truck loadout as a hazardous area. And if I recall correctly, way back in episode 138, we talked about that quite extensively, um, looking at those hazards, categorizing them, the need to deal with multiple spouts and, and different things we covered in the podcast episode back then as well. So that'll be of interest to folks. Um, as always, you can find the podcast episodes at dustsafescience.com slash the podcast number. So 138, 143, today's episode 256 would be uh, where you can find that information. So in this episode, we're going to talk about, okay, how do we how do we approach the hazard analysis process? Last week, we talked about the type of site layout, including truck unloading, um, loading into silos and the to dryers, cleaning, more storage silos, milling, and separating the grain to its various components using different types of applications, um, loadout, and then dust collection on top of all that. So it's quite a bit of things to look at. And we have explosion hazards and fire hazards and smoldering hazards all going on at the same time. So Matt, given the large number of potential processing equipment, the large number of areas possible concern, how do you typically approach this whole process of looking at a hazard analysis on one of these types of sites? So you've really got to break it down because it's such a large piece and there's so many hazards along different portions and those hazards have different probabilities. So I look at, uh, as I go through the process flow, I'll start with unloading, work our way all the way through the milling process, the storage, the milling, step-by-step step to the loadout, and we'll look at different process nodes. We're unloading. Maybe the first node typically we'll look at storage and drying will be another node, then dehulling and and milling and and then finally screening loadout or maybe packaging if you're doing a, a smaller bag packaging. Dust collection is then its own separate nodes, depending on how many dust collectors you've got on the facility. And as we go through those one from one to the next. I will, and during a DHA, I will typically assign a likelihood based on the portions of the combustible dust pentagram that are available and ones that could be provided if there's a single change or error in the system. So then we'll determine the likelihood of a dust explosion versus a dust fire. And at the end of that list, uh, as we've put together our implementation plan, we'll prioritize based on that. 
first off on that that likelihood that risk ranking that'll be provided during the DHA so you of course you want to do your high risk items first but you also will prioritize those things that are quick and easy and low hanging fruit for example uh, something that is usually quite easy and inexpensive to go implement is usually grounding and bonding of equipment it's something that is often overlooked or under designed in systems especially when you've got flexible boots on conveying lines on spouts and so forth you know, you've got to have that that bonding wire grounding wire across that those flexible boots yep we'll do those quick those quick hits and then the next priority is going to be kind of based on risk rank uh, is how I'll typically put together an implementation plan at the end of a, of a dust hazard analysis. So when I'm setting up a DHA for a new facility, if I'm going to do an entire grain mill, that's a large DHA. Uh, there's a lot to cover. And the first thing that I'm going to do is determine the combustibility characteristics of the materials that they are handling because a typical mill may be 90% one grain, but then they're going to oh, and by the way, they also add in a little bit of some other grains, or they oh, they occasionally get they occasionally get wheat, or they occasionally get uh, rye, or something something odd, and they handle those things in a different way. So we've got to look at all of those combustibility characteristics. It's not on, so it's hard to characterize some commodity materials without doing some testing. So all those commodity grains have combustibility characteristics out there on the internet. There's a nice list in NFPA 61, and we may go to those first for those raw materials, but then I'll recommend testing of the materials for post-milling. So the corn gluten meal from one facility may be different than the corn gluten meal from another facility because they have a different style of, of mill. Uh, and they may be taking it to a different particle size. So if I try to look at a gluten meal from literature, it may not be applicable from one site to another, whereas the raw grain may be applicable from one to another. Sense. So once we quantify those, then then we start going through the nodes and we'll look at basically look at node by node, step by step, and uh, identify, what are the risks? What is the likelihood of an event occurring here? What are the parts of the pentagram that you have? What are the parts of the pentagram that you still need? How could those other parts be generated, be created? Okay, are you missing an ignition source? What are the potential ignition sources? Do you not have uh, containment? Okay, what's what's something that could cause that to occur? And so on. Yep. Then at the end of that, I usually do run through a checklist. Uh, so I'll do the beginning of my DHAs in a in a HAZOP type format and close out with a checklist. And uh, I often like to use the NFPA 61 checklist, which goes through a lot of the softer, less capital intensive things like, oh, uh, do you have operator training? Do you have uh, an emergency action plan, a response plan? Do you have, uh, are you doing hot work permits? Those kind of things and run through that checklist at the end and that's how we get through it yeah that makes sense to me and i'll, I'll kind of reiterate a couple points here and then we'll dive into a few a bit deeper i mean there's a couple different models of this and nfpa 
62 followed closely by 61 are going to be your, your main sources for, you know, how to, how to perform this type of assessment. We generally break it down in three stages, identify, assess, and address. So identify is your testing, you know, does the materials that I'm using at one point have a hazard? Then once you have that, you want to assess your hazards. And that's really what you're getting into with, with looking node by node, identifying what's the likelihood of an explosion, how many sides of the dust explosion pentagram or, or pentagon do you have? I, you can kind of call it LOPA analysis, but uh, maybe that's giving it too much. But, you know, are we just missing one thing? Is it just the ignition source that we're missing? Or is it just the dust being dispersed in the air and there are ignition sources in that room? Or is it just, I don't know, we don't have this ingrained milling, but are you pulling combustion gases off a combustion chamber? It's just oxygen that's missing. Well, if you're only missing one thing, that's higher risk than if you're missing two things. That's exactly <laughs> um, right. And that kind of goes into some of your likelihood assessments. Severity is the other side of that equation where, okay, is it a populated area? Is it an unpopulated area? Those are some things that might go in there. That all fits mm -hmm. under this assess process. And then address, I think, is where you get into, okay, well, we have all these hazards. We identify the controls needed. What do we do first? And you had some really good points here. You want to look, start with low-hanging fruit, then go into your risk matrix and say, well, what does it tell us? You know, what's the high likelihood or medium likelihood, high severity scenarios that we should tackle first and sort of roll those out? Does that sound like some of a summary of what we might do? That's exactly what you do. Yeah, that was an excellent summary. And I, you made a good point here with that. And don't forget the, you call them the softer things, the management systems. <laughs> so don't right. forget hot work and emergency response, which we're going to dive into again here. Because to me, that's that's one that even the name's not very good because we call it emergency response. But I want people to respond to that smoldering in a silo or that fire in a hopper like it's an emergency. <laughs> Um, so we, we might, we might get into that a bit, but let's, let's, so that's, that's kind of the framework that we're talking about here. We map that on top of the system that we developed for grain milling last week. And I want to jump into a couple of kind of key areas here. So something we pulled out from last week, they'll pull out, but the first one is talking here a lot about equipment. What about outside of equipment? And I think the terminology here in NFPA, at least 652 would be your building compartments and buildings must be nodes in the assessment as well. That's correct. Um, and I'm sure you've been to a grain site that has dust outside of the equipment. <laughs> oh, a few. <laughs> a few. So let's, let's, that's the part we haven't talked about. So to cover the whole groundwork of all the possibilities, let's talk about that a bit. What are we looking for with dust outside of equipment? And what's that typically look like in your assessment process? Yeah, and absolutely, those those are part of the nodes as well as the, the facility that surrounds it. Uh, and you, the main thing that we're going to be going after when I'm looking outside of the equipment is going to be your housekeeping. Are there any common leaks? Are there areas where they do a lot of maintenance and open equipment up? And as part of opening that equipment up, they dump a lot of the material directly to the floor and they leave large piles laying around. And we see that a lot in grain mills where Okay, there may be an area where they have frequent buildup or plugage in a uh, in a chute or a, a spout off of one piece of equipment, and they'll just divert it to the floor. And now you've got a huge pile that tends to be inside of a room. Some of these rooms tend to be pretty small. And now you've got a, a mess that they're just leaving for some period of time uh because it's a, it's a major housekeeping chore to, to clean up some of those sometimes especially if it occurs if it occurs frequently 
the other place where you'll see that, I, I keep coming back to concrete silos, but you've got the head house at the top of a concrete silo where those conveyors tend to, to plug up because you may not have done your cleaning before trying to put the, uh, the grain cleaning before putting the grain into the silos, and now you've plugged up a, a drag conveyor. And what do they do? They divert it to the tops of the silos, and they just leave piles sitting there. So uh, the first thing that we'll always want to address is housekeeping and making sure that they're cleaning up those piles is at least within the shift of when they're making it. And don't leave them laying around for days at a time because then it just becomes impossible to clean up and you're leaving a risk uh, sitting there. Are you typically seeing like the full contain, collect, clean? And I, I want to talk about dust collectors in a second as well, but contain, collect, clean. So are you seeing it's often try to make recommendations about, hey, some of the stuff we could design better spouts or That's right. fix holes in the ducting or like where that, the one where you're dumping mass amounts, the huge headache because it's tough to clean up. But just like the general fugitive dust, are you generally making recommendations on that? Like, okay, let's try to re reduce the overall fugitive dust load before we do the housekeeping? That's exactly right. So if it is occurring on such a frequent basis that you can't keep up with the housekeeping, that's a hint yeah. that something needs to be done to correct a situation that is that is frequently occurring. Sometimes that requires capital, and that can take time. So you've got to deal with things in the interim, and then you've got something that you may be doing longer term. Uh, which can involve capital expenditure to fix a common problem. Yeah. Well, I think we're we're about to get more capital intensive here. So let's let's talk about dust collectors. You mentioned last week that's it can be common to see one giant dust collector that's attached to everything. That wasn't quite the case in the Diddy milling investigation that we mentioned, but it's not also not that far from the case. They had other dust collectors, but they had one that was I I don't remember attached to fifty six pieces of equipment or something. Um, yeah. and, and that's where the explosion went from a mill into the dust collector and then throughout the, the rest of the site. Are you like, is it, is it common to suggest, Hey, we should look at maybe having smaller, but more dust collectors, or is there some advantages to having big dust collectors other than obviously, I guess, cheaper costs, I would think, but just let's talk around that, yeah. like dust collection systems. What are some best practices and, and some common pitfalls that you've come across on, on grain mills? Well, the difficulty is if you're trying to cover multiple parts of the process with one dust collector, for one, that's that's an awful lot of duct work. And that duct work, when that duct work starts to get so complex that it's running in so many different directions, it becomes impossible to isolate it, for one thing. Yeah. And the next problem that you're going to run into is that high complexity means there are more opportunities for plugage and buildup along those lines. So you don't really want to have one big dust collector cover the whole mill. That's generally not practical. The one that you'll have for loadout alone, if you're doing truck loadout, will be bigger than all the others. That's generally a monster of a dust collector, but it's covering one thing. Then you'll have dust collectors for unloading. You'll have a dust collector for storage. You'll have another dust collector for that's covering the mills, because often after those mills, you're you're you've got airflow underneath those things that is critical. And if you lose that airflow underneath the mill, you're going to build up heat, and those mill that's that's where you get explosions in the mills. 
And well, those that airflow generally is going to a filter receiver. So that's another type of dust collector that is also in part of your process. So in a typical mill, uh, a typical dry grain mill, for example, you may have five dust collectors or seven, depending on how you lay it out. So it's not typical to see one large dust collector for everything. It's just impractical and it becomes a big problem of complexity. I want to double down on, so you said the Lodo, it's going to typically have a, the largest dust collector. I, I think from memory, and, and again, this was over two years ago, but that episode 138 we did, I think we covered Lodo quite a bit, but maybe just give us a couple notes on that because it's key priority areas. You have the fines yeah. there, you've already run through all your product, it's dry. Um, what are some good practices uh, or even recommendations that you've been making on DHAs in, in that area of the site? Well, the key thing with dust loadout is it's it's very, very difficult. You gen, you're, you're filling the top of an open truck and that open truck bed tends to be so big that it's almost impossible to provide adequate dust collection across the entire length of it. To add to the complexity of it, trucks come in different sizes. So if you try to build a hood and maybe you, you put some soft plastic flaps hanging off the side of that hood so you can kind of try to cut off the airflow around that so that it you can collect from the truck and not from the sides around the truck, then uh, you're going to end up with problems because trucks come in different sizes. And now you can't design one hood for every size of truck. And if you do, if you put a small truck under a big hood, it's there's a huge open area where you're just drawing in an area where you just don't need dust collection. And that tends to make your dust collector very, very large. Uh, the other problem will be if you don't have multiple spouts, if you only have one spout or maybe two spouts, and you've got to get in the truck, start up the engine, which is a huge ignition source, and move the truck so that you can fill the back end of the truck, it's impossible to have a hood cover that entire length. Because another concern you can have, if, if you were to try and get a hood to cover a moving truck length, that means there's at least one part of that where you'd have you could have the cab of the truck under the hood and you you can't have that because the exhaust pipes of a truck of a semi truck are over a thousand degrees it's way too hot more than enough to ignite any dust so you cannot have the that dust or that truck exhaust anywhere near the hood you just can't allow that and that's why that gets so so difficult and then because it's so difficult to draw enough air to get good dust control, then these areas where you're doing truck loadout, it, it's usually in a building that is a cover with garage doors on either end. You tend to leave the garage doors up. That's a good thing from a containment standpoint to leave the garage doors up. But you know now you're getting a, a breeze through there, and it's a place where a lot of dust is pouring out of these trucks and it gets on everything it gets on the lights it gets on the rafters it absolutely piles up everywhere and it becomes a massive nightmare for daily housekeeping uh, especially up high so it's, it's really quite the challenging area 
Yeah, no, I appreciate you going through that. And like I said, I think we spent quite a bit of time talking about that uh, particular area on the previous podcast episode as well. I want to go into um, one of the things you kind of mentioned last time and, and you started to talk about again today a, a bit, but I want to sort of get a bit more framework to it. And that was about like the commodity end of the line where you maybe had more known types of materials coming in. You have the production, the other end where it really depends on what kind of mills you're using. And then you could have wet parts of the area where stuff's you know, more wet or are you using testing ever as a, as a way to, let me rephrase this. So some people don't like testing because they think it's too expensive, yeah. I guess. Try, you should try having an explosion. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, but are there cases where you're, you're recommending, Hey, let's test a couple different areas. Cause we may be able to um, not have explosion protection in this area. Cause we think it might be wet or Absolutely. this area. Maybe we need absolutely like, like using that as a way to, to lay out your notes in a different way where you can categorize the risk, but also then the implementation, the solutions for safety are a little bit different um, depending right. on the results. Absolutely. So we have certainly found that depending on what you're producing or what your end product looks like. So say, for example, you're pelletizing a fiber. So corn fiber, which is that uh, that outer shell of the, uh, the outer skin of the corn kernel tends to be something that they they take uh the steep water which is part of the wet milling process and they'll they'll use it to glue together the fiber to and extrude out a pellet well those finished pellets if you've drawn dust off the production of those pellets then those final pellets are something that can be packaged without say it's going into a pet food or something like that something that can be packaged without having to worry about it being a dust. So often, if you if we're doing testing on something, especially when I'm dealing with packaging line, packing lines, uh, I'll have them test it as received, as opposed to having them dry and grind it. Because if they dry it and grind it, I guarantee it's going to be combustible. I already know that. But if they test it as received, we, often we can get a no-go on the go no go testing up front and if you get a no go or even worse case you still okay if you have a go you still might have a much lower kst and a very high ignition energy if it's a larger particle size which can change how your approach to that mitigation it can make it a lot simpler if you have a, a high ignition hard to ignite material a lot different than something you now you've dried it and grant and grind it in the lab, just guaranteeing that it's gonna gonna be an ignition sort or easily ignitable. So that's a way to get around some of those things, especially like I say, in packaging lines. Yeah, and I'll, I'll I don't think we had a podcast episode on it. I don't see Michelle's name in here. We had a couple of presentations from Michelle Murphy in the Dust Safety Academy, and as part of our Dust Safety Conference in previous years, kind of talking about this and the. I really like the model. It's, it's basically the same model we're talking about here. It's like using testing to identify your your different hazard levels in different areas and also the controls that you need. So if you have a, a, a high MIE in one area, then you might not need grounding bonding where other areas maybe you do. Where it goes wrong, and this is why you need an experienced person like yourself or Michelle or somebody else come in and kind of guide this process, is don't test as received and then say we have no hazards anywhere on site when you get a whack of fine dust up on your lampshades. Yep. <laughs> um, because like if you're, if the node that you're evaluating is a building compartment, I, I, I don't have to think about it pretty hard, but I, I can't imagine using as received as a, as a 
not for a building. No. Yeah, for, so it, it like it takes some smarts to know I'm looking at this node and this is the type of, well, okay, here's, here's what it, you got to look at the node, figure what hazard scenarios you're actually trying to protect against. <laughs> In this case, we're talking about dust getting up high. It's going to be dry and fine. And then match your testing requirements against those hazard scenarios in a smart way to rule them out. If you That's just right. blanket say, hey, let's 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 send it to the lab and do as received so we can get the tester back negative. Um, you're gonna have hazards at your site that are not gonna be controlled appropriately. And I wasn't saying that's what you were doing, but I was putting that as a, as a note, like it takes um experienced trained process to identify exactly. but the the other size it can lead to much safer and and much cheaper outcomes if you're not applying or overprotecting um in certain areas. Overprotection will always lead to under adoption. And we don't want under adoption. We want the right amount of adoption to to match against the risk. Right. So it, it kind of comes hand in hand. That's why I bring up packing lines. That's where yeah. I tend to see the scenario where you, that you're talking about. They may be packaging something that is not that readily combustible, and it gets very very difficult to deal with some of those materials if you're packaging them to try and mitigate dust. It, when you're filling 50-pound bags, for example. But I would want to see two results. One would be if, if you're grinding and drying it, what you're trying to do is simulate the finer parts of an end product. And you, if you can't sample out of a dust collector, which is what I usually prefer, if you can't sample from a dust collector, you've got to dry and grind it to simulate what's in that dust collector that you can't sample from. But that's going to be different than the material that you're putting in your package which may not have the ignition energy or may not have the fine particle size of what you're getting and need to treat differently over in your dust collector. I want to, so I mean, we talked through the hazards quite a bit and some of the specific considerations that would come up in a grain site, a grain milling application. I want to talk about these, I want to come back to this, the smoldering fire emergency response process. And I'll put an asterisk here to start. It's actually quite rare to see somebody really cover this in a, in a dust. I mean, we do say there's in NFPA 652 and, and I'm sure 61 as well. It does say this standard is, is required to address fire, flash fire and explosion hazards of combustible dust. That's what right. you're going to DHA. But the documents themselves are pretty light, we'll say, on how to, you know, there's a lot of stuff on explosion, not as much and, and even flash fire, not as much on fire, um, mm -hmm. although it is a requirement in there. And then the other side is there is requirements for emergency response planning as well in, mm -hmm. in those documents. I'd say it's uncommon to have that be really thoroughly addressed in an extensive way by most DHA providers. So I'll preface, it, preface the discussion with that. Now, with that being well, said, I, what, what kind of things are you, well, let's actually, well, let's talk about that first. What do you think about that? Is that true? Uh, <laughs> not necessarily. Cause okay, good. Where I do, so I always address bins and storage because it's something that's near and dear to me. And with the experience that I've had working primarily in grains and sugar industries, that's where I've seen the majority of the events that have occurred or where we've come in after someone has had a fire or an explosion. It's generally, it's been in a silo. So those are areas that are, are near and dear to me yeah. when it comes to dust explosions, dust, dust hazards, because that's where I've seen it. And uh, that's where I've seen some of the difficult cleanups as well. Makes sense. So it just so happens. So I meant, mentioned before, I tend to use the checklist from NFPA 61 uh, as on, on that 
soft side at the end of of a DHA, and I like that checklist. But uh, one of the things that is actually on that checklist is down under emergency response at the very bottom of that checklist. You're going to see the question: Does the emergency action does your emergency action plan address the probability of or how to deal with bin fires? specifically calls that out bin fires so it's something that that i tend to go after uh be, because that's that's what i've seen that's where it's been yeah do you see much on on the other so but i think we mentioned three areas where we're seeing fires in the previous episode they were mm-hmm. smoldering and that's kind of what we're talking about here with the bins and the storage silos yes um, it's static buildup and then the plugging kind of area I guess I've seen it less on the plugging, although I've seen lots of we'll call it plug like friction heating. So yes. plugging mills, whatever's causing that combustion react. I, I've I've seen less understanding of that. Of hey, this is a, this is a real true issue that could escalate, and it, and it does escalate quite frequently too. And I see that just not covered very much. But again, every provider is different. Some people would cover it quite a bit, probably because they've seen or investigated an explosion after it happened. We sort of tend to gravitate towards what we what we know. What's your what's your take on that? Again, prefixing that everyone does them differently, and I think this is one of the areas not near standardized as as other things. So where I see plugging is in a couple of areas. One is when we're dealing with conveyors uh, and bucket elevators, is where plugging can be a very problematic. And often, though, what I tend to see, I don't send it, tend to see a lot of explosions that are directly because there's pluggage, but as a result of something that's done because there's frequent pluggage yeah. that has created something that is not as intended. So there may be a conveyor after an elevator that tends to plug up and they tend to dump out and make a mess. And then you've got a housekeeping issue that gets created because of that plug. Because the way that the operators are dealing with it is to go and open up the conveyor and dump the material to the floor or dig it out to uh, to clean it up, and then they leave the mess behind. And now you've created a new hazard, and that's the hazard where I tend – then now you're going to see an external fire caused by a pluggage inside of a piece of equipment. The other Got thing it. that you can see from a pluggage standpoint that I mentioned before is under the mills. So you can have pluggage of the screens in the mills or pluggage in the airflow from the mill. And if you lose that airflow, you start to overheat your mill. And if you overheat your mill, that's when the mills will explode. And that's caused by a pluggage, whether it's a screen pluggage or or conveying line pluggage immediately after the mill, that's when mills tend to explode. So that's where that's one of the areas where I'll specifically address plugging. Makes sense. Yeah. And I, I'm kind of creating a list here. So you have like the how the fires happen. But I think there's some other things to consider that we mentioned from last time, like firefighter access and even getting the yes. firefighters out there so that they're they know that their apparatus is gonna be able to reach in areas that they need to. There's what to do if there's smoke. I mean, that was the Didion milling thing is there was there was a there's an active fire or smoldering going on for I don't have the time in front of me, but we'll say forty five minutes. And they were looking for it the whole time um before the explosion happened. So it was like that, like, what do you do? And, and there's so many different flavors. So that's the challenge. So there's that, there's smoke, can't find it. There's a fire in a bin, like an open bin and hopper and not in an attacking without any fire resistant gear on. Yeah. Um, and you can't, you can't get it put out because it's too deep in out. the pile. Yep. 
And so there's like a bunch of areas and we're not going to solve that today, but I just want to kind of highlight them that we, we're, we're seeing that, that a lot of the, the problem is then the people are in the area. Like, so if there's a fire and you're trying to figure it out and the deflagration happens, the people are around the deflagration point, whether or not. <laughs> That's true. Know, like, so there needs to be better guidelines on when people should be there, what people should have be wearing that are in that, those areas and what they should be doing and not doing when they should stop. I mean, I had a, this is not combustible dust related, but I had a friend brag that they put like 22 fire extinguishers on, on a plastic extruder fire at the, at a site of my hometown. And I was like, that's not good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> 22 should be past the protocol. I, sometimes it's one, sometimes it's two, but sounds not good. Um, so when they call the fire department in, there's all those kind of things that come into this. I think that's sort of maybe an unsolved area that, that needs to be continued looked at. Any other sort of areas on this? Like, I think we're, we went to hazard assess and we talked about breaking it down, identify, assess, address, looking at your notes at equipment, looking at your notes at buildings. We look at some really specific scenarios around Postkeeping on one dust collector versus multiple dust collectors, loadouts, I mean, challenges there, combustible dust testing. We've talked about emergency response. Geez, we cover we cover a lot of these last two episodes, Matt. Um, <laughs> any final words? I guess you want to leave folks off with on on these types of hazards and and um, anything to consider before we close off for today. One thing is so we didn't really talk a lot about was detection yeah. and uh, detectability of some of these smoldering fires. So you mentioned how, oh, there's a smolder somewhere and you're going right into the area of the hazard to try and find the source. Well, what you should be doing or what should have been done previously would be to try and put in some detectors in that system where smolders are more likely to occur. And where ice tend to see that smoldering is generally in the bins right after unloading. So that's kind of where I recommend that that you go to the headspace or you go to the uh, an area of that system and look for CO, for example, as an indicator that there may be a smolder occurring. So those gas detectors are, or a smoke detector are a good way to do that. That's where I would tend to locate them. And if you get a CO alarm on an unload bin, especially while you're unloading, that's an indication that you better stop the unload operation and go check that out. Because that's where explosions that I have seen have occurred. Well, that's a, that's a great way to, that's a great one to close off on. I think it's, it's, a risk of, of extending the conversation, it probably leads into incident investigation as well, defining yes. those smoldering events as incidents. And I mean, here, again, I keep bringing up the Didion just because the report has recently come out, but they had several of these smoldering combustion events. And I think they actually talked about detectors in each, or many of the, the incident reports, but they never got updated or never got installed or never got put in. So that's a, that's a really important area as well. I want to say thank you, Matt, for coming on. This is, uh, I guess, your fourth your fourth time fourth, on the yeah. Dusty Science Podcast. So we appreciate it. It's always a really interesting discussion. And what I really appreciate about the work that you guys do, it's just the, the depth and breadth of, of material, right? Everything from, it's not just, okay, here's the, here's the checklist and what we follow, but you guys know your stuff, concrete silos, mills, mixers, dryers. Uh, it's, it's much more of a in-depth look at this type of stuff than we can maybe get elsewhere. That's why I appreciate having you on the podcast, talk through it. All right, thank you. Awesome. Thanks. Well, we will not wait two years to get you back on next time. So I appreciate you and we'll, we'll be talking soon. Thanks, Matt. All right. Thanks, Chris. So you've been listening to myself, Dr. Chris Cloney and Matt Williamson, Director of Engineering at ADF Engineering based out of Dayton, Ohio. 
And we've been talking about hazard assessment and grain milling, sifting and sorting applications. Um, again, this is a two-part series. We talked about the hazards a lot last week. And this week, we're talking more about the hazard assessment. It came off the back of a help desk ticket that came in about, I think it was two senses saying, we're overseas and we're running a rice mill where the combustible dust hazards. Um, and that the answer is, is, is extremely complex and that there's many, many different things to consider. So last week, we talked through what a, a typical grain mill would look like, wet mills, dry mills, where the hazards might be, identifying the critical hazard spots. And this week, we talked through, okay, what does a hazard assessment look like in these one of these sites? We talked about identifying the hazards, so doing your testing to see where you have combustible dust, assessing the hazards, so looking at the different nodes, the different pieces of equipment, the different buildings and compartments, quite a few considerations around establishing likelihood, establishing severity, and, and understanding the hazards there, and then that goes into addressing the hazards. Talk about some quick wins around grounding and bonding, looking at your risk ranking matrix to understand, okay, what do we do first, second, third, fourth? And oftentimes at a site like this, I mean, you could be years rolling this stuff out. So knowing which order to do it in is really important, and that's actually one of the big things for dust hazard analysis is, is the person who's doing your DHA also going to help you identify what order to do things in? Um, not all do. Some of the really, really low-priced ones may not provide that service. And then are they going to be there to support you while you're doing that and doing the implementation and understanding where the hazards go? So those are all things that come into play there. Talk some very specific things. Loadout, the challenging area, a bunch of considerations there. Dust collection, one dust collector, multiple dust collectors. Matt told us that it's not really a case where you could have one. There's just too much. Uh, there'd be too much duct work to do complicated, but you know, five to seven might be in a grain mill. But you still could look at, okay, well, what places do we want to isolate from other sections of the mill by just not having duct and connect them and installing multiple dust collection systems? We talked about housekeeping. We talked about testing as a way to evaluate where you have different hazards and evaluate your control strategies. We talked quite a bit about fire and smoldering emergency response and some of the management systems as well. Overall, this is as, as comprehensive as we could be in two hours talking about these hazards. There's a lot more to do. At least now we have something to point somebody to next time they say, hey, what are the hazards associated with grain milling? Right, after, right before saying, you need to get somebody out on your site to take a whole look and start to categorize this stuff for you. So as always, I want to say thank you for listening to Dust Safe Science Podcast. Hope you have a safe, productive week ahead. Appreciate everything you're doing in the industry's handling, combustible dust, keeping it safer the work you're doing out there every day. Keep it up.